Welcome to our five o'clock service. We are this month looking at the subject of Trinity Truths. And um, I encourage you, if you've missed a Sunday, uh, to go on our website, our media page on kt.org, and go down to where it says series, and then you will see Trinity Truths, and then you'll be able to catch up on some of the teaching that we've done. Um, and we started with this definition behind me, and really what I'm doing in this month is simply unpackaging this definition of what the Bible teaches in regard to Trinity. Somebody said, oh, you can't find the, find the word Trinity in the Bible. You know, it's amazing how many people say that. It's like, what planet are you on? You can't find the word eschatology in the Bible, but the whole of the end times is taught there. Trinity is a description of what the Bible teaches regarding the self-revelation and nature of God. And so when we look right through Genesis to Revelation and find out what the Bible teaches about who God is and what God is, then this definition behind me is the def best definition that uh, we can make on the Bible teaching of Trinity. We're going to, I'm going to read it for you. Within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've been saying that when we talk about who God is and what God is, we're asking two questions. And when we see this definition of what the Bible teaches about the doctrine of the Trinity, which is defined behind me, we find that there are two questions to ask, and if you get the two questions mixed up, you'll get your understanding of the Bible teaching of Trinity mixed up as well. The first question is, what is God? What is God? In the definition behind, it's answered, God is one being. That's what God is. He is one being. And on the first Sunday that we taught this, we spent time looking at the Bible and how it teaches that God is one being. Yahweh, Jehovah, he is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. He is one being. So what is God? He is one being. But then there's a second question. And the second question, having said what is God, the second question to ask is who is God? And that's where we come to the Bible revelations that God is one being, that's what he is, but who is God? God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we looked in the second session at how these three persons really are three distinct persons. They're not one person acting three parts, as some people teach, that God comes as one being and one person in three costumes. In other words, God comes as the Father. Got his Father costume on. Hello, I'm the Father. Steps back, comes again now as Jesus. Same person, he's got his Jesus costume on. Steps back, same person, comes now as the Holy Spirit. No, God is not one being and one person. God is one being and three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we have to understand that this teaching of the Trinity is Bible revelation. 
You would never come up with this philosophically without the Bible. You would never think this is God revealing to us how he is. And often what we do is we, we take our limited, very limited mindset when it comes to the teaching of the Bible on the Trinity. And often what we see next week, and next week I will be telling you what some of the cults believe about this. I'll be explaining what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe about the Trinity. Well, they don't believe in the Trinity. The Mormons and also oneness Pentecostals in America mainly, and what they believe about, about this. But it's not about getting God down to our mindset and our rational thinking. It's about, well, what does the Bible teach? If you believe the Bible, what does it teach? Now, the thing is, I am one being. What am I? I am a human being. I am one being, one human being. Who am I? I am one person. Thank you, Bruce. That's who I am. I am one being and one person. But does that mean that God has to be exactly the same as I am? And her? No, not at all. God is who God is. The question is, how has he presented himself? And he has presented himself as one being and three persons. And each of those three persons, although distinct... And as you see in the de definition, eternal. Last week we saw that the Father always existed and always shall. The Son always existed. He was never created and he always shall exist. And the Holy Spirit always existed and always shall. What does that mean? They are co-eternal. They are God. None of the persons are created. They are all creator. We looked at that last week. This week, what we're going to look at is in the definition, it not only says that they are co-eternal, but it also says that they are co-equal, co-equal. Again, people misunderstand the teachings of the Trinity and often get into all sorts of weird ideas because they say, oh, they're not equal. They say only the Father's God and Jesus, he's, he's an angel. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Jesus is just an angel. He's, or Jesus, or, or, or the Father is God, and Jesus is a lesser God. He's not quite the same type of God as the Father because he, he's obedient to the Father, so he must somehow be lower and, and not equal with the Father. And the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, so he does their bidding, so he's the lowest of them all. So some people get into misunderstandings because they look at the roles of the members of the Trinity. And because one is Father and one is Son and one is Spirit, they say they're not equal. Um, that there, there is one that's more important or more divine than the other. That is not what the Bible teaches us. And the Bible does not teach us that each of the, of the persons of the Trinity are a third of the being. You know, like God's being is a cake and we have to chop it up into three pieces and the Son is a third of God, and the Father is a third of God, and the Spirit is a third of God. No, 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 no. Each one fully shares the one being that is God. You say, well, I can't get my mind around that. Oh, you can't get your mind around God. Oh, well, there's a thing, isn't it? And so we have to say to ourselves, it's not whether I can get my mind around it, but is it taught in Scripture? We are Bible believers. So today I want to talk a little bit about the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the, and, uh, the different roles that they have in the Trinity. 
um, and to show you that though they have different roles, different calls or different jobs, they are equally God. There's, there's, there's no competition in the Trinity. Now, I must mention these books uh, for those that want to go into more detail into the persons of the Trinity, because Colin has written a whole series of Sword of the Spirit uh, teaching books, but he's also written three, Knowing the Father, Knowing the Son, and knowing the Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. So if you're going to ask me, well, who is God? Not what is God, he's one being. But who is God? I'll say you need to know him as Father. You need to know him as Son. You need to know him as Holy Spirit. Because when you get to know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're getting to know who God is. And these books are excellent in looking at the different persons of the Trinity and how they relate to one another. And the books are £5 each, or today you can get them, uh, three of them, for £12. That's for those of you that say, I really want to go in-depth study into this, because I'm just going to be looking at some uh, headings here. So we've said that God is one being, that's what God is. And we've said who is God? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the first person that we're going to look at is the Father. And, oh, actually, before I do that, let me give you a nice verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's the last verse of 2 Corinthians. And I like it because it shows us that God is one being, but he is definitely three persons. And in the last verse of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 12, it shows us also that the three persons have different functions, different roles, and different emphases in their personhood. Chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You see, the three persons of the Trinity are there, aren't they? We have the Son, we have the Father, that, that's the referring to God there, and we have the Holy Spirit. And I remember that when I, for, for the years that I went to my infant school, right up to the age before, before you go to senior school, I used to go to a small village school, Martincombe Grafton in the Yorkshire countryside, and at the end of every day, just as, as, as we'd got our chairs on the table and the infants and juniors, we were ready to go home, we would always say the grace. We would always say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Now, I admit at the time, we were trying to race through, you know, it was like, oh, here we go, we're all excited, we're about to go, and it's like, you know, um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, all everywhere, and when we're out, and kids are out, you know what they're like, running down the road. But, you know, every day of school, for all those years, I was praying Trinity, and also asking the Trinity to work in my life. And the distinctives of the Trinity are here. It's the love of God. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with the Father. And the Father, we see the Father's love. Now, the Father, Father God, is Father of all humanity, and all peoples, and all nations, even the unthankful. So we'll start with that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. 
Matthew 5, verse 45. Jesus says, Therefore you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's Matthew 5, 45. So God the Father is Father of all human beings by creation. And it's true, not just Christians get blessed and food. People that don't even believe in the God of the Bible, God still sustains them. So God is the Father of all humanity by creation, but he is also, but he is also the Father of all believers by redemption. So Matthew chapter 6, just where we are in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus teaches the believers to come to God the Father as their own Father. And um, we know that in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and Galatians 4, verse 4, these passages teach us that we have been adopted by the Father in heaven. Let me just take you to Galatians 4, because that, that's the gospel in a nutshell, and um, it, it's, it, it's very good, because it shows us both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work. Um, here we are in Galatians chapter 4, and verse 4, reading. This is the gospel in a nutshell, and, and let's see the Trinity in this, okay? And let's see the roles of the Trinity. The Father is doing something, the Son is doing something, the Holy Spirit is doing something. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness, fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Can you see in that passage there, and we can expand that, the different persons of the Trinity, we've already outlined how each one of those persons are God last week, and here we see them in operation. We see their persons. The Father is doing something that the Son isn't. The Son is doing something that the Holy Spirit isn't. And the Holy Spirit has a role that's not the Son's. And in, in this passage we see one of the main aspects of the person of the Father, and that is that the Father is initiator initiator. If you want me to give you a, a one word that sums up the person and the role of the Father in the Trinity, he is initiator. Remember, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that every believe in him might have eternal life. It's the Father that initiates here. The fullness of time came, God the Father says, now, Son, I'm sending you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And so the fatherhood of God, the Father, the person of the Father is an initiator. He sends. 
He, and then we see a picture here of the Son. I'll come to that later, but He is the Redeemer. And He comes to die on the cross. He comes as a man. He's fully God and fully human. He dies on the cross. And, and then we see the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and works salvation in our lives and convicts, convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and causes us to be born of the Spirit, causes us to believe, gives us the gift of faith, gives us the gift of salvation, and operates it in our lives. And then all of this is so that we become adopted by the Father. The Son dies so that we can be adopted into His family. And the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and cries out with our spirit, Abba, Father, and witnesses with us that we are children of the Father. So in this passage there in Galatians, you see a picture that we could of the, of the, of the Trinity at work in salvation. The initiating, sending Father. The redeeming, sacrifice of the, and obedience of the Son and the Holy Spirit applying that work of salvation in the believer's heart and life. So when we look through uh, books like John's Gospel, which are excellent, and, and we begin to see the relationship between, say, the Father and the Son. We looked at that a little bit last week. The Father and the Son. The Father sends the Son. The Father shows the Son what he is doing. The Son speaks on behalf of the Father. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing, and, and I am just doing the works of my Father, and I am glorifying my Father, and I'm speaking on behalf of my Father, and everything I do comes from my Father. You know all those scriptures, don't you? You know the feel of, of John's Gospel. And so we have the Father initiating, sending, directing, putting the words in his Son's mouth, asking his son to be obedient. We know that Hebrews tells us that Jesus was obedient to his father, obedient even unto death. And Philippians says that he came and humbled himself as a servant on the earth where he was obedient to his father. And so when we look at the father and the son, not only are we learning about the different persons of the Trinity, but we are also learning about the very being of God. Because you can't know the Father without the... You can't know him. Thomas says, show us the Father. Show us the Father. You see, this is the beauty of the Trinity. There is the diversity of persons, but there's always the unity of being. And so you will see the, the diversity of the persons. They have different roles. You'll see the son speaking to the father. They're having a conversation. And the father speaks back and says, Behold, this is my son, my beloved son, within whom, with, with, within whom I'm well pleased, having just sent the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Do you see that? So Jesus speaks to the father. And the father speaks back, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit is involved in this. You see that they are three distinct people. This is very important when we come to next week and we have people that deny the three persons of God. They, they have some idea that, 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 you know, the conversation between Jesus and the Father is, is like a, an actor with two roles who goes, um, you know, now I'm the Father. Jesus, 
Yes, Father. You are my son. I know. <laughs> it's not, that is not the presentation of Scripture. It, if you read the Scripture, there is no presentation like that. There's two distinct people speaking to one another. And when we see the Holy Spirit, I will send to you, John 14 and 16 explains the role of the Holy Spirit. It says, I will send to you another comforter. It doesn't say, I'll come back as the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going away so some other person can come. Jesus didn't say this. He wasn't like, I'm going away now to my father. Well, actually, I'm the father, but I'm going away now. And, and then I'm going to send another comforter. And then Jesus goes away. Right, put on my costume as the Holy... I am the Holy Spirit. Well, we thought you were Jesus. No, no, I'm the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, it, it, th this is one of the things we'll hit next week. They are three distinct persons. It, you can't come to any other conclusion if you're a Bible believer. Now, if you decide in your mind that there is no way that God can be three persons, although God can be whoever God is, but if you say, I'm sorry, I cannot accept that God can be one being and three persons, well, that's your problem. It's not the Bible's problem. Well, I just can't, can't ex accept that one, you can be one and three. I can't accept it. Well, then you can't accept it. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. And this is one of the things I'll mention next week when we're speaking to um, uh, Muslims especially about this. And they have a hang-up over this. And uh, one of the things they say, well, the problem is, is your God is too small. You, you say that God can't be one being and three persons. How small is your God? God is, God is whoever God wants to be. Are you telling me it's impossible for God to be? Why? Your God's too small. Your God's too small. God is who he reveals himself to be. And if we believe in the scriptures, then we will see. Anyway, the, 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 the Quran has a total misunderstanding of what the Christian teaching of Trinity is. I'll show you that next week. When you read the Quran and it teaches and teaches against the Trinity, it believes that it's talking about Father, Son, and Mary. The Quran has no idea. Whoever wrote the Quran and bits of the Quran and came to that bit on the Trinity had no idea what the Scriptures taught about it. And so they're talking about something that we're not even talking about. We'll come to that um, next week. And so the Father sends the Son, and we see, don't we, the obedience of the Son right through the scriptures. And this is where some people say, you see, they're not equal. Why? Well, the Father does all the sending, all the initiating, all the telling what to do, and the Son, the Son just does what the Father tells him to do. So the Father is greater than the Son, and then they start to say, you see, the Son isn't God. Well, wait a second. Where does be, why does it mean that if you are... Um, if you are obedient, that you are somehow less than the person that you're obedient to. That would mean that if we look at the biblical teaching of headship in marriage, that would mean that women are less than men. Because the Bible teaches absolutely, evidently and clearly that man is in headship in the marriage relationship. And it says clearly, wives, be obedient to your husbands. Just as Christ was. Yeah? Wives, be obedient to your husbands. So that's clear. So does that mean that wives 
are second-class citizens. Does that mean that wives are no long, uh, women are not equal with men when they get married? Of course not. In fact, the, the husband is told to love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for him. So actually, you know, that the, the harder job is for the head. And that's right, because the one that carries ultimate authority also carries ultimate responsibility. Ultimate responsibility for, for the health of any marriage, ultimate responsibility lies in the man's hands. Now, the wife is also responsible, but ultimate. And so we see that. Uh, another illustration. Um, my role here in Kensington Temple is associate minister. We know that I'm not the senior minister, I'm the associate minister. Colin Dye is the senior minister. We have two different roles. He is in a more initiating role, and I'm in more of a helps role. Does that mean that he is a greater human being than myself? No, no, not at all. He's no greater human being than I am. I'm no greater human being than somebody that's under my authority or, or under my pastoral anointing. No, we simply have two different roles. He's the CD minister, I'm the associate minister. If I felt that I was a second-class citizen, or if, then maybe that would make me want to go and be senior minister somewhere else. And do you know what? Many ministers are like that. Many ministers only see an assisting role as a stepping stone to a senior role. Why? Because in their mind, they believe that the idea of serving or assisting is somehow second class. And I have, over the years, the amount of people that have come to me, usually ministers or leaders in, in conferences, and said, so when are you going to get your own church, Bruce? Assuming that my role as assisting and associating and helping would somehow is second, second best or second rate to someone with a little church of 20 people down the road. But he can call himself senior minister. You see, it's not about role. In fact, when you look at the greatness of the Father, you also see the glory of the Son. Because the Son was not forced to obey. He was not forced to come to earth incarnate. He was not forced to go on the cross. He was not forced to speak his Father's will. In fact, the Son could have done exactly what he wanted, how he wanted, on his own terms. Why? Because he's fully God. So the marvel of the revelation of the Trinity is love. Love. And when we say that, amen, when we say that God is love, you can only understand his love through the persons of the Trinity, how they treat one another, and also how they manifest themselves in their different roles. Jesus' glory was that he loved the Father so much that he obeyed him in love. The Father said, I want you to go, and Jesus said, I want to go. Jesus was, you know, you get pictures of this struggle in him, that human, you know, humanness of him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you see that. It wasn't a walk in the park. Well, he was in a park, Gethsemane, but he was on his knees, sweating blood, going, Father, Father, if there's any other way, 
And he's, and he's basically saying, Father, if there's any other way, that would be my will. This cup of poison, if there's any other way, Father, that would be my will, but not my will, but thine be done. And so we see, so the idea that the, the Father is somehow greater than the Son, it's just ridiculous. You look at the Son's obedience, willing obedience. He wasn't forced, he wasn't subjected. You see, what we're doing is we're taking human mentality and projecting it on God. And we see that what we've got to do is take God mentality and project, project it on us. So we look at Jesus came to serve, and we know that God says leadership is servanthood. That if you're given authority in the kingdom of God, it is there to serve people, not yourself. The more authority you have, the more you're meant to serve, the more you're meant to love. So when you look at the relationship between the Father and the Son, you see the incredible love of the Father, not just for his unique Son, but the fact that he would sacrifice his unique Son for you, the fact that he would punish his unique son and that his unique son would submit himself willingly to punishment for us. I say this before because I think it has a little bit of a... I wouldn't sacrifice my son for any of you. 16-year-old, 6 want He's not going to die for you. I'm not going to send him to die for you. Tough. He's my son, my only boy. I have a daughter, but he's my only boy, and, you know, you just have to take your chances if it's dependent on my son, Jake, because you're not sending him to die for you, all right? I'm not doing that. Why? Because I don't love you like the Father God loves you. But the Father loves you and says, this is my son, my only begotten, and only begotten means my unique son. That's what the word begotten means, unique. This is my unique son, but I love you so much you fallen humanity that I'm going to send. I'm prepared even to punish him. And the punishment that was ours will be put on him. I will do that because I love you so much. And the son says, do you know what? I love them so much too, Father. And that's why I'm going to be obedient and let you do that. <laughs> Already the love of God is streaming from the Trinity truths. Streaming from the Trinity truths in, in, into our lives. So, the great initiator, the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace, and that grace, we've got the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what it's all about. Jesus is the Savior, the Redeemer, that's his role. And grace is his theme. Love is the Father, he sent his Son because he loves us. Grace is the Son because grace means undeserved favor, unmerited favor, undeserved gift. Grace is all about the fact you don't deserve it, you can never earn it, it's always free, it's always a gift. Well, that's the summary of Jesus. Jesus was God's gift of, of the Father to the world, the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus came to bring grace. He died so that your sins would be forgiven. And that when, the, when, the, when God the Father looks at a believer, he sees you clothed with Christ. You have a righteousness that's not your own. In other words, if you are a Christian and a believer here today, and you are standing before God the Father, and, and, and he said, why should I let you in to my heaven? You'd say, 
because of the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, when it comes to heaven, God treats you exactly the same as he treats his own son. Treats you, that's why you're clothed with Christ. It's nothing you can do. It's not a righteousness of filthy rags. When God looks at you, he says, I treat you like my own son. Because of Jesus, you are totally and utterly justified before the throne of God. Just, he will welcome us into heaven in the same way he welcomed his own son because he counts what God, his, his son did on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? And so the grace. But then finally we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we could go through John 14 and John 16, and we have, but I'm just giving you a feel today. And we know that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, we're going to send you another counselor, another comforter. And the Holy Spirit's name is not comforter or counselor in John 14 and 16. The Greek word, as I mentioned last week, is paraclete. Para, alongside. Kletos, called. Called alongside. We have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or communion of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is God on earth right now. The Father's in heaven, do you know that? Our Father who art in heaven. Where is the Son right now? In heaven, praying and interceding for our lives right now. So whenever we have contact with God, who, which person brings us into contact with God? God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit that shows us Jesus. It's, it's God the Holy Spirit that brings us the word of the Lord. It's God the Holy Spirit. You can't have Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And you can't have the Father without Jesus. You see, they are one. They are one being, three persons. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus and you have the Father. If you've seen the Son, you've know the Father. And, and it's so wonderful how the Trinity works in our practical lives. The Holy Spirit comes, he's the helper, he's the empowerer, he's the sanctifier, he is the person of the Trinity working on the earth today, working in you today. If ever you hear Jesus speak to you, through the word of God or prophetically, it's the Holy Spirit that brings. Jesus said, he will not bring of his own but he will bring to the remembrance the things that I've spoken. And he will not speak on his own, but that which the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he will bring from me. Isn't that wonderful? You've got it again. You've got it again. You've got the Holy Spirit. And he's like, he could speak on his own. Why? Because he's fully divine. He's fully God. He, he could do whatever he likes. The Father could do whatever he likes, he's fully God. The Son could do whatever he likes, he's fully God. And the Holy Spirit in turn could do what he likes. But they're trying more than anything to manifest the fact that God is love. So the Holy Spirit is so humble that he chooses not to bring anything except from the Son. Chooses to do nothing but glorify the Son. Wow as you read these relationships and you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in action, it is overwhelming, amazing. It is God. It is God. I remember when uh, somebody once came to me and said, I I'm having problems praying with the Trinity. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know who I'm meant to pray to. Do I pray to the Father or do I pray to Jesus? 
Or do I pray to the Holy Spirit because someone told me you're not meant to speak to the Holy Spirit? Well, how can you have fellowship with someone without communicating with them? How can you have communion? And, uh, and I said, look, don't worry about it. I said, why? Because there's no competition in the Trinity. There's just love. In fact, if there's any competition in the preaching now, if there's any competition in the preaching, sorry, if there's any competition in the Trinity, it's that each one wants to glorify the other. Jesus says, I've come to glorify you. And the Father says, I'm going to glorify you. No, I'm going to glorify you. It's all about you, Father. No, I'm going to lift you up and all my authority. If I'm the Father with all authority and initiative, I'm going to give you my authority. You're going to give me the authority? Yes. Why? Because I love you. Well, you're going to give me all your authority on heaven and earth. Well, I'm just going to glorify it with you. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going down there to bring the glory to you both. I'm going to work salvation in your hearts. I'm going to pour, pour myself out in revival, win souls, heal people, gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to work in people's hearts, sanctification, the Holy Spirit says, and I'm going to glorify the both of you. It's the love of the Trinity. Now, I said, now in, in, um, in Scripture, you do see, even in prayer, the roles of the persons, don't you? That there is a way that you can approach the Father in the name of Jesus. That's right to do. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name. So that there, there is a way that you can go and say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. That's appropriate. We're going to the Father. Jesus says, you know, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. That's appropriate. Why? Because we're coming to him as Father. But it's also appropriate to come to Jesus as Saviour. We say, come to Jesus, don't we? Come to him as Saviour. It's appropriate to come to Jesus as Saviour. And it's appropriate to come to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me anew. Fill me anew. Sanctify me. In other words, very often, you will speak to the person according to their role and function. So when I, when I need his fatherly touch... When I need his assurance, I'm going to go to the Father in the name of Jesus. I'm going to go to the Father of light who's going to give me good gifts. Father, I need your help. I need you. I'm going to go to the Father of love. I'm going to go to the Father that's revealed in Scripture and what he does and who he is. I'm going to go to him for that. You're my Father. But I'm also going to go to Jesus and say, Master, heal me. Master, pray for me. Jesus, you're my Savior. I worship you. Lord, touch me. And all the times people went to Jesus on the earth, we can do the same. We can go to him for healing. We can go to him for forgiveness. We can go to him for blessing. We can go... All the times people went to him, we can go to Jesus. He is... You go to him for saving. You go to him for healing. You go for him for blessing. You go for him for all the things that he was, is, and ever shall be. And you go to the Holy Spirit, as I've already said, Lord, fill me, sanctify me. Lord, Holy Spirit, we come to you for the lost, that you would, you would convict them of sin unto righteousness. Holy Spirit, revive your church. Holy Spirit, cause us to have assurance in our hearts. Cry out, Abba, Father, in our lives. Holy Spirit, guide us, fellowship with us. You're our senior partner. You're called alongside, so please help us glorify Jesus. Wonderful picture of the three persons of the Trinity. And yet, the beautiful thing is, is the more you see them as persons, the more you see them united. Because there can't be a father. 
You say, well, I don't believe in the Son and the Holy Spirit. I just believe in the Father. Well, you're finished. Because you can't have the Father without the Son. Because Jesus said, the Father and I, we are one. So you're finished if you just stick with the Father and make Jesus some angel. If you say, I, I, I believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Holy Spirit, to come to that, you're finished. Why? Because who is Jesus being obedient to? He's not a son at all. He's his own father. That's not what the Bible... He's pretending to be son, pretending to be father, pretending to be the Holy Spirit. Well, who is he? Well, who is he? Remember the question, who? What person is he? Is he the father, the son? What, what's going on here? Very few people uh, look at the Spirit and say only he's God. He usually gets the... He's the first one to get kicked out of the Trinity. It's funny, isn't it? They, ki they kick out the humble spirit that's on earth of God today, and then they deal with the Son, and they end up with some sort of monstrous God that's not Father at all. Like I said, and we'll come to this next week when we look at different views of the Trinity, Allah is not Yahweh. Allah is not... The God of the Quran is not the God of the Bible. He is nothing like Yahweh. He is nothing like uh, one being in three persons. And Muslims understand that. Yahweh is not Allah. They sh Arabic people, in my opinion, should stop referring to Christian God as Allah. He's, they should start calling him Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever they want to call him. I call him Yahweh. They should call him Yahweh, because that's who he is. And so, as we finish today, we've looked and building this definition behind me that within the one being, there's only one God, but he's a being. We're not saying one person, three persons. Always remember that. Never say God is one person and three persons. I'm not, I'm not one person and three persons. I am one being, a human being, and one person, Bruce Atkinson. What am I? One human being. Who am I? one person. You've got to keep these two things separate. So remember in that definition, whenever you talk that God is one, he's not one person, he's one being. What is God? One being. What is Bruce? One being. What is Bruce? One person. What is God? Three persons. I think you got it. God bless you.